Elisa came all the way from Venezuela. Que bien. Yeah, just for this. Thank you for getting out there and getting a reach. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, we got some good things to talk about. Saints are actually coming to Ohio now. They're going to need a little bit of organization, a little structure from the Lord. Yeah, he's going to give them their law, and they're going to learn that it's not just about kind of going through the motions and doing what he wants, but becoming a certain kind of person. Yeah, maybe a little bit of leadership and things like that, too. Yeah, it's going to be good. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we can follow up on what we read. Yeah, that sounds great. So today we are in Doctrine and Covenants 41 through 44. In these sections, Joseph Smith prays to receive God's law, and he's told that he will receive it through revelation. He's also going to talk about the relationship between obedience and discipleship, and we're also going to learn a little bit more about God's commandments and laws. Mm -hmm. God instructs his people that in order to be sanctified, they have to be obedient. So there's a few different things that we can talk about today, but we want to focus in on three things specifically. The laws of God and what is their purpose, what it means to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and also how do we protect ourselves from deception. And in order to help us dive deeper into our scriptures and understand these topics, we've invited our wonderful friend, Chad Webb. Chad, it's great having you here. Would you mind coming and joining us up here? Happy to. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Likewise. So Chad, you are the administrator of seminaries and institutes, as well as the primary and secondary schools. And you have been with the Seminary and Institute Program or Church Educational System for over 30 years. Thank you for your incredible service and leadership. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And we're really interested in hearing your perspectives today. I know you have a lot of experience in, in thinking about this and, and teaching these kind of topics. To begin, I'm wondering if you can give us a sense for what stood out to you in these sections, or is there anything we need to know going into them? So there's a lot here that's really exciting to, to talk about. The, one of the primary purposes of the scriptures is to help us come to know Heavenly Father and Jesus better, to know their nature and their, their attributes and characteristics. And I love that in the Doctrine and Covenants, almost half of the sections start with the Savior introducing himself. It helps us to come to know him better. And it also helps us when we read the Revelation, knowing who this is coming from and, and why he's giving this. And in section 41 starts with him saying how much he delights to bless us. And section 42 saying that he is the son of God and the savior of the world. And so I, I just love to look for those titles and, and attributes of the savior and study the revelation in a way that helps us to come to know him better. Yeah. And I love the way that he opens up these sections specifically saying he loves to bless us because at least 41 and 42, they fo really focus on law, right? On God's yeah. law. But him kind of offering a preamble where he says, I love to bless you, it, it kind of helps us to see the purpose of the law. Like it's yeah. not to be intended to be restricting or to create us into robots or something like that, but he really wants to help us reach yeah. our fullest selves, our fullest potential, right? So maybe we can start off by talking specifically about the laws of God. What are they? Why are they important? So my understanding is section 41 and 42, uh, they were received within weeks of, of one another, uh, both in February of 1831, I think. Yep. Um, we read that Joseph Smith and the church elders were gathered in Kirtland and praying to receive God's law, and these are the revelations that they receive. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that this is the first revelation that has come to them in Ohio. Mm -hmm. They were promised in section 38 that when they went to the Ohio that they would be able to receive God's law, so God is fulfilling his promise to them once they are there. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's not, sometimes we think of these laws like the Lord is putting down a smackdown and here's a stop sign and here's the red light and green light and things. It's not that. The, the Lord is helping them to establish their community and help them to be united as a group of people in love. So in section 42, the Lord is actually giving us some specific laws, and these are just some of the titles that we're using here, but you see that he's talking about the laws of teaching. He's going to talk about moral laws, the law of consecration. 
to talk about healing and death, uh, receiving scripture and revelation, how that works as well as dealing with transgressors. Mm -hmm. So as you can see here, there's, there's a lot going on, roughly about 90 verses. Uh, how would you respond to somebody who feels like uh, God's laws are too stifling or too burdensome or that they limit our freedom uh, too much? Um, I think sometimes it can feel like it's very stifling and very like rigid, but in the end, I think our Heavenly Father sets these rules in place so that one day we can have this ultimate freedom. Um, I also think it's a lot about keeping us safe. I think about a lot of times in my life where I haven't followed the things that He has set in place and it hasn't ended very well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think back about how if I had made a better choice in that, in that time, how things would have ended up better and I would have been safer, um, whether that's emotionally or physically. Um, it, I think a lot of the times it's more for our protection than it is mm -hmm. for, like, to keep us rigid and, yeah. yeah. And I love the idea too, because I think it's absolutely the case that sometimes laws are constricting, but sometimes I need that constriction. I need that limitation uh, in order to be the person I want to be rather than the person that I am at that moment. Chad and I were talking about this earlier, and I know you, you explained it in a really helpful way for me. You kind of drew a diagram that I'm wondering if you can share with our, with our yeah, audience. Yeah, I think this yeah. goes really well with Shiler's comment, actually. So there's an older family home evening manual from years ago that had this diagram. And that's the extent of my artwork right there. That's as well as I can do. Yeah. There's, there's one on the left. It's better than Daniel's. I, yeah. I, I, I'm in good company. So the one on the left and then the one on the right are two different options. And it suggested that you have two choices in the way you want to live your life. Based on that alone, which life do you want? The one on the left or the one on the right? And that probably doesn't make much sense with my great artwork. <laughs> the idea, as Daniel just said, is that sometimes we feel like I just want to do whatever I want. I want to have all this freedom, but what happens if we choose with our agency to exercise that freedom in a way that's contrary to God's commandments? What happens if we choose to take addictive substances into our bodies or you know, break other commandments? Do we gain more freedom or less freedom? The adversary's plan from the beginning was to take away our agency, right? So he tempts us to do things that seem like will give us more freedom, but in the end actually limit our freedom. On the other hand, if we restrict our choices to those that Heavenly Father has asked us to do, what happens to our freedom? Do we gain more or less? Who's the freest person in existence right now? Probably Jesus. Think about what he can choose to do today. With all that he knows, with all of his power, with all of his godly attributes, he has all freedom because he's perfectly obedient to eternal law. Because he chooses to be obedient, he actually gains more freedom, right? The truth shall make you free. What the adversary does is tries to limit us to only see that far. But what happens if we only see that far ahead and see this choice as being free, then we, then we, don't, we don't look beyond today's choice to the consequence of those choices. It's all about what we really believe is the nature of Heavenly Father and how much he loves us. In section 59, he says, I'm really pleased with the early members of the church so much that I'm gonna bless them. I'm gonna crown them with blessings. And the blessing, he says, is more commandments. Chad, I had an experience when I taught seminary one year. <clears throat> one day I had a student who typically, typically came in a little late and was usually pretty rugged. And um, you could tell he was just struggling with his life. And one day we were having a conversation regarding the word of wisdom. And people were just kind of asking questions like this. And why are we so restrictive? And why can't we? And it got to the point where they were actually kind of, some of the students were maybe even being a little bit crass with the conversation. 
And this young man in the very back stood up. He had not spoken a word the entire year. He said to the class, you have no idea what you're talking about right now. If my mother had followed the word of wisdom and if my father had followed the word of wisdom, I would have a home and I'd have a bed to sleep in. But instead I'm at the park and I'm sleeping by myself at night and I don't ever know who I'm going home to. And he said, if you want to think that you are free because you can drink and smoke and everything else you want to, just know that there are other of us who are being affected and because of that, our lives are being destroyed. Joseph Smith, the prophet, actually has a quote regarding God's laws. He says, everything that God gives us is lawful and right. For in obedience, there is joy and peace, unspotted, unalloyed, and as God has designed our happiness and the happiness of all of his creatures. He never has, he never will institute an ordinance or give a commandment to his people that is not calculated in its nature to promote that happiness, which he has designed and which will not end in the greatest amount of good and glory to those who become the recipients of his law and ordinances. Leah, please. I like what you said, and I think of like in the future when I'm a mom, how I want to raise my kids, because I want to I want to raise the best kids ever. I want to teach them like this is the consequence, and this is why Heavenly Father has told us to do this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, I've had my personal experiences where like there was a time where I couldn't take the sacrament, but this was a very, very good learning opportunity because I definitely felt like a different. Like, I, I just felt like I didn't have my best friend, the spirit with me all the time. And it was super cool because I was like, okay, well now I gotta like do everything that I can so that I can have that companionship again. Because there was, for me personally, there was a very big difference. I'm really grateful for the commandments. Thank you. Thanks for testifying of that as well. It was beautiful, Leah. So I think we actually have a video from a viewer at home who has a question regarding God's laws and, and how they apply to us. Hello, my name is Dan. I am a high school teacher in Washington State. My question is about section 42 of the Doctrine and Covenants, where we learn about the law of consecration. And the manual tells us that the early saints practiced it as it was revealed. And we are trying to practice it today, but we're doing it in a different way. So my question comes down to where did we get the authority or the precedent to change how we are applying one of God's laws? I love the way the question was asked. How do we apply God's law, right? Doctrine doesn't change. The plan of salvation doesn't change. The core doctrine, the eternal truth taught by Heavenly Father in the revelations does not change. But the world changes constantly. So it's, it's the reason we need a living prophet to interpret the application of God's commandments, of his doctrine in, into practices and policies consistent with the needs of, of us today. This has always been true. The question was, you know, when did that start? It, from the very beginning. Uh, an easy Old Testament example, it's always been true that the Lord wanted us to care for each other, to love each other and care for the poor and the needy. In Old Testament days, there was a practice called gleaning where they left the outside of the field unharvested so the widows and others in need could come and harvest the outside of the field. Most of us don't have fields today, so we have fast offerings. The doctrine of caring for the poor and the needy never changed, but the way we apply it constantly has to change. And that's one of the reasons we need a living prophet with revelation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So this has been a great discussion about the laws of God. I'm wondering if we can focus a little bit now on, on what it means to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and how those two things are related. 
Yes. In fact, in these sections, the Lord is again trying to help the people to prepare to create Zion. And Zion isn't just a place they're going to go and it's going to be perfect. They have to build Zion as a people. So he's trying to help them mm. by giving these laws to be prepared for that kind of that kind of community. So maybe I just go to the audience. What are some things in section 42 that you have found uh, that would help us or that helps them become better disciples of Jesus Christ? Yeah. And if you prefer Spanish, we can provide a translation afterwards. Algo que a mí me llama la atención es en el versículo 40 y 41. Que el Señor les está invitando a que no sean altivos, que sean sencillos y a que además hagan las cosas con pureza. Yo siento que estas son tres características bien importantes de ser discípulos de Jesucristo porque nos ayudan a que realmente aceptemos la voluntad de Dios, a que dejemos de lado nuestros deseos personales y queramos realmente ser seguidores de Él ¿no? y hacer todas las cosas que Él nos pide sin impedimento. Bueno, gracias. These verses 40 and 41, as Elisa was just saying, talk about the importance of, of being pure in heart. He's talking about, Thou shalt not be proud in thy heart. Let all thy garments be plain. Their beauty, the beauty of the work of thine hands. And then let things be done in cleanliness before me. And the importance of being pure and the importance of coming into Christ and having those characteristics are extremely important. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I like that because it really gets this idea that God doesn't just want people who do what he says. He wants people to have a certain kind of character, right? Who do good things naturally because that's a natural expression of who they are. And I think it's important to remember that we have faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we want to have faith in a certain outcome we hope for. And if that doesn't happen, then we start to, to lose our faith. And instead of trusting in his answer of, to what's best for us and his timing in meeting our needs, and, and I, I just think it's incredibly important to have faith to be healed, but also to have the faith to not be healed. Thank you, Chad. It's a beautiful comment as well. So we have a video question from a viewer at home regarding discipleship. Maybe we can take a look at that. Hi, I'm Mika Reed. I'm from Westchester, Ohio, and I'm a recent convert. The road to baptism was extremely difficult for me uh, because I had so many things going on in my life that should not have been going on in my life. After about 10 months of being taught, I finally was able to be baptized. My question is, is the road to discipleship the same as the road to baptism? That's such a great question. So the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, which essentially just means one who learns. So it's not so much a destination as it is a kind of iterative journey. It's something that you're consistently doing. It's not just a one-time event, but it's something that we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. So while that can seem daunting, I think it's also uh, somewhat, uh, it gives me a little bit of hope because it, it helps me to know that I don't have to have it all right right now, right? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a great response. Second Nephi 31 is a good place to study this, right? That yeah. invites us to follow Jesus by baptism. That enters us into the gate, and then we press forward with faith in Christ. So, As I think about a disciple of Jesus Christ, the best way to, to learn of him is to do the things that he would do. And as, we were, as I was reviewing some of the verses here in, in DNC 42, I think about some of the things that he did. He, he served the people. Mm -hmm. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I think we really are the tools in his uh, workshop uh, here on earth where we're putting ourselves out there and, you know, being of service. But at the same time, uh, we're, we're learning and growing ourselves as we do the things that the Savior would do if he were here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think he says as much in, in DNC 42, Doctrine and Covenants 42, 45. So when he's talking about kind of the value of the law, uh, you know, the end goal, at least in so far as I read it, is so that we can live together in love uh, in so much that thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die 
and more especially for those that not have hope in a glorious resurrection. So, I mean, I'm reminded of this verse in, in the Gospel of Luke, you know, what is what is the greatest commandment? It's to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Like this is the end, this is the, the function of the law and the prophets of the scriptures. Um, to, to create the kind of relationships between one another so that we're always helping each other, that we love each other. We have relationships such that we mourn with other people, mourn and take joy in their successes. All right, so one question I have is, how have people been examples of disciples in your lives? What have you learned from other people's examples about discipleship and how to cultivate a more Christ-like character? So I had an older sister who had lymphoma. She was a really good example for me uh, because... She was really sick, but she was a huge rock. She never once said, like, I, this needs to go away. I expect it to go away. And I know that with these blessings that I'm getting, that it will go away. She just accepted that what would happen would happen. And she did pass away, but I feel like she was completely at peace with that. And she felt that that's what was supposed to happen. And that's, I feel like that can be a really hard thing to do, even with that personal example in my life, it can be really hard to sometimes not want a certain outcome and to just completely be um, open to what will happen happening. Thanks for sharing. Daniel, I want to ask Bethany a follow-up. Bethany, how, how did it affect you to have your sister pass away? Because we're talking about the law of death and healing here too in connection with discipleship. So how, how, would it, how did you feel about that? Honestly, I was really angry. I kind of pushed away from the church a bit it took a long time for me to come back, um, but a lot of it had to do with my parents, who are also amazing at being disciples, and um, my friends, who were just good examples. Thank you. And I love the statement by President Nelson. He says the following, irrespective of age, we mourn for those loved and lost. Mourning is one of the deepest expressions of pure love. It is a natural response in complete accord with divine commandment, thou shalt live together in love insomuch that thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die. And, and I think sometimes as we look at people who have lost those that they love, I mean, we think of Christ and, and the loss there, that we, that we recognize that, you know, tears really are the price we pay for love. Sometimes there's, there's a lot of pain and sorrow that is associated with the loss of someone we love, but to not, to not shield ourselves from it, to, to give as much love as we can and to love people, to share our lives with people and not be afraid of losing them, but love them together, knowing that in the future we'll still have this resurrection, we'll be together as is teaching here. So this has been a great discussion about becoming disciples of Christ. I'm wondering now if we can focus on some of the lessons to be learned about protecting ourselves from deception. Again, we're still in, in 1831, we're in Kirtland, Ohio. Um, we've had one section before this where we had a gentleman by the name of Hiram Page, who was one of the eight witnesses. And Hiram had this seer stone, and we've kind of talked about that before, but now we're talking about a new person. Her name is, we call her Mrs. Hubble. Um, Mrs. Hubble was, was feeling that she was receiving revelation for the entire church. In fact, there's a, there's a slide uh, from John Whitmer, who was the historian at the time, who describes what was going on in section 43. He says, this woman's name, according to the history of the church, kept by John Whitmer, was Hubble. She professed to be a prophetess of the Lord and professed to have many revelations and knew the Book of Mormon was true and that she should become a teacher in the Church of Christ. She appeared to be very sanctimonious and deceived some who were not able to detect her in her hypocrisy. Others, however, had the spirit of discernment and her follies and abominations were manifest. 
So we see this in section 43 as the Lord is talking to us about leadership and trying to help us to understand uh, the difference between a leader that is called of God and then one who is deceived or is using deception for the people. Well, I think this is a really interesting topic, especially in today's world with so many voices and so many influences. How do we keep ourselves from being deceived? The Lord also taught that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall all things be established. And the way I would interpret that to mean is that he's given us the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us prophets. He's given us lots of sources to learn truth. And if our own revelation aligns with prophetic teachings, with the scriptures, then those two or three witnesses allow us to have some confidence that we are following the Lord's will and that we're not being deceived. How do we create space for, pe for people who aren't there yet? Yeah. Like they want to stay in or maybe they just haven't received a testimony yet. I, I would yeah. start with the fact that the questions are good. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the restoration of the gospel happened because Joseph had a question. Mm -hmm. Most of the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants came because somebody had a question. Mm -hmm. Questions are always good. So for somebody to come with a question, we shouldn't react with, what's wrong with your faith or mm -hmm. why do you have questions? That's, that's, that's the invitation for the Lord to teach us. So we should welcome questions to start mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. If people have not found a testimony yet, I don't, I don't think the Lord puts a timeline on it like we sometimes do. We panic a little bit and think they gotta get an answer by here or there. Mm -hmm. And the Lord sees the end from the beginning. He's patient. He sees the big picture and knows the journey this person's on and is willing to meet that person where they are and lift them from there. And I think as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to give each other the latitude to, to wrestle a little bit and struggle a little bit and, and make mistakes. Yeah, and I love that idea that following this example of meeting them where they are and lifting up, lifting them up from wherever they are. Yeah. We have a slide that talks about making sure that we understand who the prophet is and he's speaking for the Lord. It kind of gives us a few verses that we can look at specifically. So if you look at verses three through five and then four and seven. In verse three, he says, And this shall ye know as surely that there is none other appointed unto you to receive commandments and revelations until he be taken if he abide in me. Or in other words, he's saying, and the role of the prophet, none other can speak and be the prophet for the church, except he receive a commandment and revelations until he be taken. Or in other words, the Lord is going to be in control. At this time, we have President Nelson, who's a prophet of God. When he is taken, then we'll have another prophet that will be step, stepping in. And then in verse four, but verily, verily, I say unto you that none else shall be appointed unto this gift, except it be through him. Or in other words, the prophet today is the one who actually makes the calling for future prophets. I guess the question I have is how, how might we help somebody who has had bad experience with church leadership, um, maybe in which a church's a leader has acted inappropriately or something like that? How might we help them kind of build faith back in this idea of Lord's appointed servants that he chooses people who, will, um, who are good and who will listen to him? I think something important with that is always remembering that they are not perfect people, that God, that God doesn't call perfect people to be his prophets and his apostles, just remembering that they do make mistakes and they do say things. And I know that there's the story of Brigham Young who gave his whole speech one morning about the incoming army. And then later that day he said, that was me speaking. Now it's the Lord's turn. The church is a place for sinners and for people who aren't perfect. The church is a place for us to become better. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. I just think that on avoiding deception, that's why it's so important to have the spirit. Just because Lately, and I don't know if it's just me. No, it's not just me, it's definitely not. <laughs> There's like voices everywhere and you know, not necessarily everybody is right. And so 
I really uh, focus on like, okay, well, we really have to have the spirit during this time to know where we need to go because there's just a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Excellent, thanks. On that same note of the spirit, I remember recently talking to a friend who said, you know, when Christ was on the earth, not everything he said was comfortable. And she continued to talk about our prophet today and the leaders of the church who are sometimes asking us to do things that may not be um, in, in line with our political views or in line with the way we may think. And then she made the comment, but we do have the spirit who is the comforter. And if you go to the Lord through his spirit, he can give you a testimony of and help you feel comfortable with the things that the prophets are actually teaching us to do. So this has been a great discussion on protecting ourselves from deception. Um, Thank you for your comments. And Chad, as we're wrapping up, thank you so much. Thanks for your insights. Uh, Clearly, you've had a lot of experience in teaching the gospel. So thanks for being a great example of being a disciple of Christ as well. We'd also like to thank you, our audience. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for your great comments, your insights, your questions. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And to those of you at home, thanks for your comments and questions and insights that you shared with us via social media. We'd love to have you in the studio sometime, but if you can't join us, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.